What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nitha. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We're just a couple of artsy bitches learning about what makes art good and how to talk about it. Let's start with some things that we're snacking on. As as you know, if you've been listening up till now, a snack is just a, a fun, sexy, little tasty thing that we've been slurping throughout the week to give us good vibes <laughs> and energy, artistic energy. Tell me what you're snacking on. Oh my god. So uh, our graphic designer, Jillian, we've been friends since like middle school. And she, I just, like, noticed over the years that she would make Spotify playlists for every month of the year. So she basically had, like, a little time capsule uh, for herself. And I was, like, cleaning out my Spotify because I'm, like, a content hoarder. Like, I will save a bunch of podcasts to listen to and, like, never listen to them. And I'll save a bunch of music to listen to and, like, never do it. So I was probably following, like, like, a hundred something different playlists of music i had not listened to and then also like had made a bunch of playlists over the years so i've been cleaning out all of them and organizing them and i kind of realized that i could make little time capsules because i would remember exactly like what month of the year of what year and i've been starting to make like little monthly playlists for like starting from like 2015 on and it's just been nice to like revisit and we are all regressing at this time in quarantine, so I can, like, feel myself regressing. I've been listening to a lot of punk goes pop albums, so... Uh, your emo phase. Uh, my emo phase never ended. It just matured. So, that's my snack. What's your snack, Gaia? I've been listening to the Je- listening to I've been watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary. Um so the story about why I'm watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary is a complex one which is that I have like a ton of embroidery thread on my floor right now. I bet you didn't think that's where this was going. And um I have to wind it around these little popsicle sticks in order to store it. As I was doing so, I was like Gotta keep my brain awake, alive, alert, enthusiastic. And so I, I started watching the Jeffrey Epstein documentary, and it's really sad, and I don't feel very good. Uh, brain alive, alert, enthusiastic sounds like a like a motto. It's like that TikTok that's like alive, ahaha, fuck. <laughs> what? Oh, you what? It's someone's I've like never seen there's it. a TikTok of someone who's like, hey, you know those live, laugh, love quotes that like white girls have on on those frames? What if one was yes, like I am familiar. Yeah, so it's like live, laugh, love, and then one is like, what if it was like alive, ahaha, fuck. Like live. And he's like it's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Oh, oh, alive, alive ahaha, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> That's tea. I just like hate that like a year ago I was like I don't understand TikTok, and now I'm actively quoting TikToks in my daily life. Now you are TikTok. You yeah. know <laughs> what, though? The Jeffrey Epstein documentary did not make me feel alive, awake, alert, enthusiastic. <laughs> I did not feel the live, laugh, love of the Jeffrey Epstein documentary. <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein, are you on the, sp- on the spectrum of live, laugh, love to alive, ah, ha, ha, fuck? It's definitely on the alive, ah, ha, fuck. Ah, ha, fuck. Yeah, and that's on institutional corruption. Um... Speaking, Speaking of, of institutional, institutional corruption, corruption. 
let's get into a roadmap. Let me yes. tell you what's about to happen here in this this house. Our our episodes, as always, is made up of four parts. Bitch, what? An introduction to what we're talking about. Bitch, how? A technical rundown of how the thing succeeds and fails as a piece of art. Bitch time. Three minutes of us ranting uh, incoherently um, with no intelligence allowed. Bitch, why? The why did we make this? And the bitch meter, which is our little diversity score meter that we learned math to teach you how to do. Let's get into bitch what. So in bitch what, this is where we just describe what the thing is. Did we even come up with a plan for our for what we're gonna talk about? What you- Haha, just kidding. We're talking about Hamilton. <laughs> Do, 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 Oh, my God. How did you first come across Hamilton? Oh, God. I went to, I went to Yale for, <gasps> I went to Yale for this uh, acting conservatory thing. You think you went to Yale? I went to Yale. Oh, my God. I went to Yale. I went to Yale for this acting conservatory thing when I was, like, 16. Um, and that's when I was, like, trying to convince my parents, like, hey, acting school. Um, sorry for being a disappointment. Um, but it was fine because we're good now we're all good um but that was the summer of 2015 and our program allowed us like we went into the city like three times to see some shows that's how i saw fun home um that's a good show i know god we'll talk about fun home so (laughs) i we got to see three shows and i remember seeing the poster for hamilton it was like plastered everywhere in the city and i was like a play i thought it was just a play i didn't know if it was a musical and i was like a play about alexander hamilton like who's gonna watch that and i was eating my fucking words like three months later when my senior year of high school started and i was like obsessed with hamilton and that was the year i also took ap gov and so my ap gov teacher would often call on me when we talked about like the national bank and like anytime an answer was alexander hamilton he'd be like nita knows this and then i'd be like fucking kill me um but yeah i will say that hamilton is the reason why i (sighs) fell in love with theater again so i guess it's not all bad um, but we'll talk well, about that. Our, the whole point of us talking about Hamilton is that we're cur- cultivating a nuanced relationship yeah. with Hamilton. Yes, we are. I mean, I I was going through like a weird breakup at the time, and and like satisfied was such a good healing song for that. So and like just all of the music is really good. And I also grew up with like '90s R&B and hip hop as many immigrant children and first generation indian kids do uh which i know is problematic and we'll talk about that um but i definitely like found a a nice little sweet spot between my love for theater and my love for other genres of music in hamilton and it was also like i did cry like just just like being able to see so many people of color like on a broadway stage um i never got to see it in person probably will not ever get to unless i win the lottery or something uh in either way like the money lottery or just like the hamilton lottery because <laughs> that's the only way i'll be able to afford it and i mean i got all my friends into hamilton like friends who had never liked musicals ever liked hamilton so i think that it definitely like did that for me and my friends okay i'm done i talked a lot how did you get into hamilton 
Well, thanks for asking. I have, like, <laughs> I, you always say that, like, I'm not <laughs> asking you. Like, I'm not no, I just like the, like, I like the idea of me saying thanks for asking as if I didn't know you were going to ask me that. I have, like, a huge hipster con- complex surrounding oh Hamilton because I definitely got into it before it was, like, everyone was talking about it. And so my friend sent it to me that summer and was, like, it's a musical about Alexander Hamilton. And I'm all, like, that's dumb, as we all did. And then she was, like, no, you're going to get it. You're going to feel it. And she was right. Like, I I mean, it slaps. It does slap. It does slap. We cannot deny that it slaps. And I remember going to school and being, like, hey, everyone, you've got to listen to this crazy new hip-hop musical <laughs> um, about Alexander Hamilton. And everyone refused. Like, people were, like, shooting me down. They were, like, or, or, like, waving me off in the way that you do when you're, like, I'll listen to that, but you're not going to listen to it. And I was, like, just you wait. Just you wait. Oh, God, Gaia. (laughs) And then, like, months later, everyone was, like, Gaia, you have to listen to this musical Hamilton. And I was, like, bitch, I've been. I've been listened to. I think the Hamilton mixtape was, like, my first introduction to, like, real hip-hop. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, like, I have a huge appreciation for the Hamilton mixtape. I haven't listened to it in a while, but I kind of want to give it a re-listen, because there's some bangers on that. God, the song with Riz Ahmed. (gasps) Yeah! Yeah, Immigrants. Yeah, it's so good. I just think it's interesting, and we'll talk about this more, but, like, actual musicals that have hip-hop music in them, like the Tupac musical, like, did not do as well as Hamilton. I was, like, talking to my gov teacher, and I was like, hey, you should listen to this musical. It's about Hamilton, and it's also rap, and I know you like rap. And she listened to it, and she was like, that was cool, but, like, that wasn't rap. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not, like, Biggie. No, it's not. It's not at all. It's not. It's not, like, rap. It's just, like, musical theater's version of rap. Um, And that's why I say, like, like, what got me into hip-hop was the mixtape. Because the mixtape has, like, actual rap on it. Yeah, it is funny that in order to get, like, in order for Lynn to utilize actual, like, actual sounds and influences of hip-hop, he had to first write a musical that was digestible for white people about hip-hop, and then he was able to translate those songs he wrote into an actual mixtape that actually actual sounds hip-hop. like hip-hop. That's, like, what this show is. That's, yeah. that's this show. That is this show. Uh... We're getting too far into it. Let me let me talk. Can, can I just give you a little historical rundown before we start having hot takes? God, I'm sweating. Um, I'm right. sweating. <laughs> Talking about the implications of Ham- Hamilton is like foreplay for it us. It is. It's like the climax and we skip the foreplay and we got to go back to the foreplay. Let me tell you about how Hamilton came to be. So it was originally <laughs> workshopped at the Vassar Reading Festival as the Hamilton mixtape in 2013 directed by Thomas Kale, who is ends up directing the Broadway, the Broadway one as well, I believe. And he's also white, just like a fun FYI. fact. And musically directed by Alex Lacamoire. Lacamoire. Is it Lacamoire or Lacamoire? Anyway, we said it Lacamoire. both ways. Although Lynn previewed an early version of the opening number at the White House in 2009 at the beginning of Monsieur Barack Obama's presidency, um, it moved off-Broadway to the public um, in January 2015, which I wanted to talk about the public because one of our very first conversations about this podcast occurred in the public. We, like, go to school, like, very close to the public. We go to school really close to the public, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so it, it was in the public on, in January of 2015 and like immediately went to Broadway at the Richard Rogers in July, 2015. And it won 11 Tony Awards in the 2016 Tonys. It began a run in Chicago in 2016, followed by three touring versions, the Angelica, the Philip, and the And Peggy. Um, in 2017, 2018, and 2019, respectively, the And Peggy opened in Puerto Rico, which we will get to. We are going to talk about PR and a lot. We are going to talk about PR. Um, and moved to San Francisco. It began a run on West End in 2017 and was set to have a run in Hamburg, Germany in German um, in 2020 and is set to run in Sydney in 2021. Can you and imagine it, it, rapping in German? Imagine rapping about the founding fathers in German. Oh, okay. There's, <laughs> There's so many No, we layers. don't have time to unpack all, all of, of that. that. All right, keep going. It ran the famous Ham for Ham ticket lottery, which auctioned 21 front row seats, um, as well a little, a little show before the show, which was moved online due to dangerous levels of congestion on 46th. Um, and it also just hit Disney Plus earlier this month, which is July 2020. And I'm not going to go, like, t like, normally I go, like, deeper into the synopsis, but, like, please, like, take your, like, look at your A-push notes, like, <laughs> listen to the soundtrack. Like, have you not listened to Hamilton yet? Um, anyway, <laughs> it covers the life of Alexander Hamilton with Act 1 covering his immigration to the U.S., which wasn't the U.S. at the time, and the Revolutionary War, and Act 2 covered his involvement with the nascent U.S. government, his extramarital affair, his son's death, and finally, Hamilton himself's death, and famously performed a nearly entirely POC cast and takes its musical influence from rap and R&B, which is basically what everyone talks about. They talk about Hamilton. Yes, yes. It's time for bitch how. It's time for bitch how. This is where we talk about how the piece of art succeeds and fails as a thing. This is where we get to get very critical and we don't have any emotional ties to what we're saying. At least we're trying we? to. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I often, we often like mix up a little bit of like emotion and in the artistic critique actually did you know there is no such thing as objective criticism there's no such thing as objective criticism we watched a video essay about it so therefore it must be true <laughs> but also like what's the point of objective criticism like like yeah, you're right. thing good thing bad like what do you get out no, of that that's stupid yeah so at least we're we're able to to take it apart and tell and like talk about what fails and what succeeds and then our personal feelings about it aside like this is what it does well, and this is what it doesn't do well. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. Let's get into Let's it. Let's get into it. Can I talk about bodies in space? Talk about I'm bodies I've been dying space. to talk about bodies in space. Do it. I love the staging of this musical. I started directing, like, when I was 14, which was, like, around the time Hamilton came out. And I've been dying to see the staging of Hamilton since I heard about the staging of Hamilton being what it is, which is fabulous. And this is the first time this this release of the filmed stage version is the first time I got to see that, which is whack. But it is it's beautiful. I love that the staging emphasizes the like the body of the actor and like the the way the actors relate to each other over the opulence of the set, which I think a lot of Broadway shows get caught up in the fact that they're a Broadway show and can't like appreciate like what an actor can do. 
Um, Mm -hmm. I think the show does it well. I love that you could just as easily get the same, like, visual impact if it was performed in, like, an itty-bitty black box as you could seeing it on the Richard Rodgers. That's, I completely agree. Yeah, like, I, what's really sad is I didn't know about any of the staging until I got to see it professionally filmed. Like, even the bootlegs that I watched it's really hard to see like them making all those really beautiful like body pictures but the vignettes that take place in between the songs are beautiful and visually striking and that's something that we do in school all the time is like okay how do you tell a story in your body and I'm always like ugh. but like it's true like it's all there and I feel like yeah Hamilton utilizes that so much and it's really unfair that like there's so many beautiful visual moments that we all were like robbed of until we could pay for Disney plus the way I like describe my like style of directing is like this idea that when you see an actor doing like a cool move on stage that seems like not of like their natural body life I like it to make it seem like they would have ended up in that shape coincidentally like it just fits with their natural movement Mm -hmm. and then they can move back into their natural movement from that pose and Hamilton like really executes that well for sure so it's I just like feel like my taste is this directing yeah it's very it's very sexy I agree I think also the ensemble costuming allows for that as well it's great. It's so good. All of the, I mean, all of the costuming of this show is is great, and it's really functional. Like, this show yeah. feels like it was made to function in that, like, most of the actors have a double that they play in the second act. Like, everybody's moving and switching all the time. The set is super bare bones, and then you have, like, every show with a revolving stage. <laughs> Hades Town Hamilton, like, is good. <laughs> If they give you a revolving stage, that's, that's it. That's it, folks. Fun Home has tons of, like, weird stage. Lots of, yeah, lots of really movement. smart staging and movement here. And I think also we would not have been able to appreciate it as much until now. Now that we've been, like, studying staging, like, intensively, yeah. you really get it. Like, it reminds me of some of our, like, directing projects. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And something our our directing professor said all the time was, like, working with bodies in space, bodies' relationship to space. Um, It's just sexy. Can I pivot? What do you want to talk about next? I want to talk about how Lin-Manuel Miranda cannot sing. You know what? He can't sing, but he often tailors the character to what he can do. And he also, like, tailored, like... Renee Elise Goldberry, she can really switch between form amazingly. Like, she can go straight from, like, uh, really well-trained theater singing to, like, rap, you know? And, like, same with David Diggs. And he, like, so he really played to the strengths of the people that he had. And I think he kind of does that with him, his characters as well, like, in the Heights. And here, like, they're definitely not hard to sing. Um, but the people who have played Hamilton after have definitely, like, added a really necessary <laughs> vocal technique to that character that I think was missing from his performance. I guess I was more mad about how he couldn't act. That's also, yeah, he does cry voice. 
I feel like when I hear him, this is gonna sound so pretentious, but like when I hear him, I feel like I can hear the tension in his voice. Like he's holding his vocal cords like that. Yeah, it sounds like he's trying to push out some emotion. Emotion through his singing. And 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 there is something in that technically that could work in terms of like remaining open and like allowing the the like like changing your breath pattern to like make crying happen but he's like definitely not doing it from a technical aspect it's just what he thinks that like crying sounds like watching him next to philippa sue who like clearly knows how to act like like she knows how to act she knows how to sing um whereas like i think lynn like lynn is like a writer and he's trained as a writer and he's an amazing writer but like seeing him next to philippa sue you're like dude you're a writer and it's not that you can't do both. There are plenty of people yeah, who can. Yeah, I mean, I do both. You do both. Issa Rae does both. And Philippa Sue, I think she has so much power and stillness. That's really, really beautiful. And she just is, the way she carries herself, like, it is powerful. And then you have Lin, who, like, his character is also a bit, like, f- more flighty and, like, fast talking and like da 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 but i think he is not able to get to that same grounded place to express emotion like that and i think that like that does hurt the show a little bit at least this version that we watched yeah i feel like lynn lynn seems like lynn acts this is gonna sound mean <laughs> he acts like the best actor in a high school theater department <sighs> which is like there's there's moments when he like really gets it like i think you're right he really gets like fast talking hamilton like wants to write like he's like ambitious like he gets that but then when he's asked to bring it it's like what you said when he's asked to bring emotional vulnerability he like really like doesn't know how to do that and has kind of like like fast tracked his way there like using like fry voice but it really like took the emotional punch out for me yeah yeah like, It's Quiet Uptown is a beautiful song, and it's so sad and, like, heartbreaking, and I, like, cannot, I, like, cannot watch it. I know. I know. It's no good. It doesn't happen that much in the recording, I think, because he's, he yeah. can be smaller in the recording, because it's just him and the microphone. I did write in my notes that Lynn's acting is probably better from far away. Probably. Yeah, I mean, like, here's the thing with, like, these, <laughs> these, these people's performances are not meant to be seen from up close which could bring us to king george yeah we're here to defend jonathan groff's spit stop making fun of he's working he's like vocally trained so well and he's doing amazing work and you're not supposed to like be that close to his face actors who spit are actors who have good vocal technique his voice his voice is probably lubricated as fuck he apparently drank like a ton of water like before every time he went up yeah yeah, yeah his larynx probably feels amazing he's moist um ama- he's moist in there he's so talented he's so so talented you're gonna tell me like some a little bit of spit got in your way from like enjoying that performance whatever I think a joke one of my acting teachers told me at one point was, like, if you, like, are in the front row, you should feel the spit. That's literally why Broadway is closed until we yeah, have that literally. scene. Because That's why singing is a high-risk a high high activity. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? Jonathan was doing his fucking job. 
Did you um, know Jonathan Groff? I'm so sorry. In Mindhunter, he has to have a uh, hetero. And he would ask women. He would ask women. He has to have heterosexual sex. And he was like, I, how do I do this? <laughs> Our king. He's such a king. Doesn't even know. I love him so much. He's so good. He's like, we don't deserve him. Um, Although I gotta say, I don't know if he fits my criteria of men being non-threatening. I'm a little threatened by him. It's the eyes. I would be afraid to meet him. It's the eyes. I feel like he's taller than me, too. He's, he's very tall. He's got, like, he's, he's got this really, not in, like, stature, but he's, like, really intense looking. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. We, we've got, like, big, big notes, and I, like, don't know when we should start getting into the big, big stuff, because, like, Hamilton, like, there's, there's so, one of the things I think is fabulous about the show is, like, I have so much to say about, like, the, like, little, like, technical aspects of it and also of, like, the implications of every line. So, like, I feel like we could fill a whole episode with us just being, like, let's get technical. Like, let's talk about these vignettes. Like, let's talk about that hurricane gobo. Um, mm. but, but at some point we have to talk about how Hamilton is the Obama of musicals. <laughs> It is. It's the Obama musicals. It's, uh, ooh, okay, God. All right. Let's pull the ripcord of ripcord, the Obama musicals. Yeah, okay. The, the, the conversation surrounding immigrants in 2015 is, it has vastly changed since then. Um, when Hamilton came out, it was a praise, like, immigrants, we get the job done, was like a cool, thing it like definitely made me feel cool to be it made me feel like more proud to be the child of immigrants than I had in a while and I understand that that sentiment is powerful um and it's important to see yourself represented in that way and be told that like your existence is powerful and valid but also I since because Hamilton came out in a much different world than we're in now. Um, after the election of uh, he who must not be named, um, we immigrants we get the job done became like a rally cry and also like a way to prove self worth to white people. It became a way to like say, "Hey, you can't kick me out of this country because I'm financially." important and i'm a commodity which i i take i take umbrage with and i can't like i can't mm, sing along to the line immigrants we get the job done anymore without feeling like kind of gross because like since then we've had like the muslim ban which lasted a few weeks like at the very beginning of trump's presidency i said his name whatever at the very beginning of trump's presidency there are children in cages currently as we speak PR is in a very precarious position with the United States and has been. There's too much for me to, like, sit here and be like, immigrants are important. Of course they're important. But, like, I don't have to tell you that for you to, like, be cool with me staying here and my parents staying here. And I also think that, like, Hamilton was used as, like, a pseudo-education tool. As we were watching Hamilton, my mom would be like, oh, I didn't know Hamilton did all that. And I'd be, I'd, like, truly had to pause this this musical so many times to have a, a to go on a tangent uh telling my mom how like that one thing was not really historically accurate and to think so is actually 
dangerous. And I don't want my family to think American history is any less violent than it actually was and like fall into a trance of believing that it has always been the great American melting pot bullshit. Hamilton, I think, kind of suffers from chronic bootstrap syndrome, which is this, you know, like Hamilton is kind of a capitalist sweat dream of a show because it's all about mm -hmm. like pr promoting like your ability to be productive and like your ability to like prove your worth as a person through hard work and the fact that like anyone can come from anywhere and become anything and like that's what right. hamilton's about and at the same time like glorifying the rich because it like is about the the like wealthy elite class and then so like like textually it is like a beautiful like like the capitalists nutted hearing immigrants yeah. we get the job done but then also metatextually it is a capitalist wet dream of a show it got so big and it got huge and yeah. made so much money like shows on broadway notoriously don't make their money back like that is just kind of a given and hamilton mm -hmm. makes its money back like hamilton makes so much fucking money we we talked about how watching it is kind of sad because it's like emblematic of like a time that like like remember in 2016 where everyone was like 2016 is like the worst year and nothing's gonna be worse <laughs> than 2016 which is like oh that was the year david bowie died alan rickman died prince died yeah and then trump was elected and but like trump was running and we were like oh my god like i can't yeah, believe donald yeah, we were trump like, is running for president yeah if you want to talk bootstraps mentality that was the narrative that like of obama yeah at the time was like anyone can come from anywhere and do anything when really like he did have a lot of things that were going for him already he was able to be like this very like centrist like moderate thing and and when we say hamilton is the obama of musicals like <laughs> i don't know i can't get into like a, a like a more real truth than that like it is dangerously neoliberal and like unradical um yeah i mean and also like we'll talk about like how hamilton and obama like have their place in history as like yeah. important things but also it's 2020 but what I was saying is, like, when Hamilton came out, it, like, felt like we were moving towards something, and it made me feel nostalgic for the feeling that we were part of a world that was, like, moving forward. That, like, like small changes could lead to big changes. Like, like uh, one of the one of the big things that happened, like, right adjacent to Hamilton coming out and getting popular was gay marriage got legalized, mm -hmm. and it made it feel like things were, like, changing. It, it, it's reminiscent of, like, the feeling that, like, the world can, can do the thing that nobody ever thought it could do. And so, like, watching this show feels, like, so, like, of that time of, like, that optimism. And, and it's sad now. You're right. Like, when I was listening to it, I was mournful of, like, the world that we were in when I saw it and, like, the innocence at which I could take it. And, like, not not that I didn't have to think about race. <laughs> I always have to think about race. But, like, it was also Black Lives Matter was gaining traction at the same time. 2015 was, like, a big year for that. And, and then gay marriage had just happened. And we were, like, moving towards a place where, like, 
yeah, Obama was going to be done being president, but maybe like Hillary Clinton was going to be president. Or Bernie Sanders a, was still going to be president. Or Bernie Sanders was going to be president. And we would like have just like a a renaissance of <laughs> of progressivism. And we didn't. And I think now Hamilton just has opened itself up to more scrutiny because we're living in a world that's way more race conscious. And it's not just like race conscious for the people on our on our, I don't want to say on our side, but uh, like people, like everyone is race conscious now. Like everyone is thinking about it all the time. Um, whether or not they like agree with being anti-racist or not, like it's in the conversation more so than it ever has been um, since we've been alive. And I think that we just can't take Hamilton at face value anymore. Yeah. Like speaking of Hamilton and race conscientiousness, like Something, something I want to talk about that, like, really, like, came out to me while watching this show live. I, I actually, like, I haven't listened to Hamilton probably since, like, 2016 before before watching it just, just now. And I've always thought about Hamilton as an allegorical show. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's like, been something that's been really, like, present for me while, while listening to it. And... And I, I've, like, I wrote in an essay that, like, Hamilton is, like, clearly an allegory and that it, like, makes it clear through, like, everything from its casting to its lyrics. Um, but re-watching it, I, I had this, like, weird sense where, like, Act 1 came to an end and I was like, oh, fuck, how is the allegory going to survive past the Revolutionary War? And psych, the allegory dies in the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War. Like, I, th- I think the first act, there's a lot of, like, the really great lines that people love to quote. The, like, rise up when you're living on your knees, you rise up. And I feel like that harkens to images of the Black Lives Matter movement in my head. Like, like rising from your knees. Um, and, like that all feels like very much invigorating towards activism like i feel like when you listen to act 1 or watch act 1 of hamilton it feels like a story about never giving up and never letting yourself be beaten down and like solidarity well yeah even rachel cargill like did a thing recently where she and lynn like took uh lyrics from hamilton and put them next to like moments that we're dealing with right now and it felt really tone deaf i'm not gonna lie like it felt icky but i know that like when i'm watching the musical i do feel that way yeah still yeah but then you get to act two and act two is just like bizarre i think it's like easy to forgive act two because the the closing number is really incredible and, like, there's some stuff about legacy and about grief that's, like, interesting. And, like, I think a lot of the individual songs stand up. But it's just, like, Hamilton's life. Like, and and for a show that purports to be about Hamilton's life, I don't really think Hamilton is about Hamilton's life. It it takes a lot of liberties in terms of Hamilton's relationship to Angelica, Hamilton's stance on slavery, um, the, like, main... George Washington's stance on slavery, um, Thomas yeah. Jefferson's stance on slavery. Everyone's stance on slavery. But then it gets weird yeah. when you have specifically black, specifically people, black people playing <laughs> slave owners. Because it takes so many liberties, it I think in the first act, my brain is so easily like, yeah, this is like a fictional narrative. And like it doesn't have to be a historical 
a historically accurate document because it's a musical and it's allegorical and so there's not really like so many rules about like what this show has to be but then in act two it just comes out of nowhere and like slaps you in the face with like hamilton's affair and like hamilton's (laughs) like inventing of the bank and it's like what does hamilton's affair have to do with like this like anti-racist activist premise like what does like their their petty kind of like back and forths about where should the capital be or like should they provide aid to france like those don't seem to live in the same world as act one and it's bizarre it definitely takes a major tone shift i also think yeah it is weird it's very weird to be rooting for a man who was white I know that the point is not for us to forget that he was white, but by seeing, like, a bunch of people of color, like, playing these people, we became, like, we became, like, mini experts on all of these, on all of these historical figures through watching this musical and then, like, doing our own research and reading. Like, I bought the fucking book that Lynn based the musical off of. Like, I know much more about Alexander Hamilton than I care to know. He was a militarist. He was consistently anti-democracy. He literally, like, laid down the groundwork for privatized interest and power structures. Like, the fact that we are rooting for him to start America's bank is so weird to me. It's just, like, propaganda-y to me now. It didn't feel that way then, but it's, like, immigrants we get the job done is, like, a really dehumanizing sentiment. There's a lot of sentiments in this musical that feel of that world there's kind of like this there there's a specific line raise a glass to freedom something they can never take away which which kind of like is a really strange concept to think about because like there's something kind of sexy about the idea that's like oh like even if my body is like enslaved like my mind is free but like also like there were literally bodies that were enslaved people (laughs) like there was literally slavery yeah like like the the idea that like freedom is as simple as like just imagining yourself to be free i think kind of like delegitimatizes the idea that like bodies take freedom away from bodies like Mm -hmm, institutions mm -hmm. take freedom away from bodies they do it on purpose and they do it effectively And if you imagine, I I think it kind of, like, fits into this, like, really, really um, simplistic idea that, like, racism is rooted in, like, hatred of the soul and, like, evilness and, like, anti-racism is just, like, an act of love. But, like, racism is an institutional problem, not a mentality. And, like, acts of love can't fix that. And imagining yourself to be free can't fix racism racism is a body outside of like the bodies that were enslaved so i like have a big problem with the that line and the idea that like freedom is a mentality david diggs uh please respond i want to know what it feels like though for any any actor of color who's like been in the show if they've ever like felt the implications of like them playing a founding father who is directly responsible for the institutionalized systemic racism that has put them in the specific place they are now and like 
this is there's a much longer conversation about like generational trauma and and like what it means to have these bodies on stage performing for mostly like white people like rich old white people which is not who this show is for I think that was that was mostly the conversation I remember from like 2015 2016 was that like no one could see it now because like the white people made it famous and now like none of the people of color can like afford to go see it um which fucking sucks honestly like I I cried after I watched it for that reason of just like it's a goddamn shame that I was never able to see this because it would have done something but I know if I had seen it I would sit in the audience and feel just as isolated because I was not up there on the stage with people of color like I'd be in the audience filled with white people Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this musical uh with Alex Lacamoire I hope that's how you say his name and strategically casted black people as mostly slave owners like characters who were slave owners and the the use of of mostly 90s r&b and hip-hop which came from a culture that's not his and then like made it digestible for white people and then had black actors play slave owners and perform it so that white people could like pat themselves on the back for being not racist and like being like oh if you could get me a 50 year old white man from iowa to listen to rap music you've made it and it's like no (laughs) i've not made it because you can consume work made by people of color i was in a class at nyu and uh this was like when i still really liked hamilton and this woman of color was like i don't think it's fair that lynn gets to like appropriate black culture for his musical and like hasa minaj has a really good episode of patriot act about rap music as a form of protest and it's how it's being used in other countries all around the world um to stand up against oppressive government and he he said that like we like a lot of those countries like people in those countries use rap in the the form but not the like same way like they don't like steal specific sounds they just use rap like india is a little different in terms of like how we use rap i feel like sometimes we know how to create our own style and our own sound but a lot of the times it's definitely like pulling from uh specific black artists and, like, we need to reckon with that. But it's never for, like, people in, in power to, like, make it digestible for them. It's always, like, for the people, by the people. And I feel like that this had the exact opposite effect. Yeah. I mean, like, it's, like, the musical musicalification, musicalification of rap music. Right. And it's, like, but, like, that 50-year-old white man who, like, went and saw Hamilton is never gonna listen to nwa like yeah (laughs) he's never gonna he's never gonna um the song 10 dual commandments is based off of a biggie song 10 crack commandments it sounds almost exactly the same too um and lynn lynn writes about it he's like it's not like a like a secret like we all know and so but like no one's gonna listen to that song like the amount of people who actually like went back home and listened to rap music eventually is zero like more people probably listen to musical theater after uh but definitely not like the actual 
origins of where this music came from. Lynn has like said the n-word on multiple occasions. Just because you're a person of color, that doesn't mean you get to say the n-word. Uh, I, I heard a recording of him saying it, and he was, he was told multiple times not to do it. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes, because uh, I found it and it's awful. But it's like, because he did that, that makes me feel like his use of hip-hop is is not as like authentic and sweet and loving it feels that that he just feels like it's his and he is not the person that's allowed to say rap music is for everyone like he made hamilton like digestible and he's like rap is for everybody you guys like we all can enjoy it like look at how everyone's enjoying hamilton but that's not rap music and you're also not the person to package it up nicely in a neat little bow and give it to other people you're not the person to say that and the fact that like he went on and like said a word that's not his to say for me just further brings that point home yeah i agree yeah i kind of want to pivot earlier you were talking about like questions you want to ask the actors uh, specifically questions we want to questions we have for david diggs <laughs> i don't know if it's actually <laughs> david diggs but i just like couldn't i have a question else. for david diggs Mr. about the diggs. sally hemmings joke oh i hate that joke which which there's there's a joke at the like opening of Act Two that's like D- Jefferson saying, "Sally, be a lamb, darling, and open this." Sally Hemings was a fourteen-year-old slave that Thomas Jefferson um raped, and now the reason Thomas Jefferson has black descendants nowadays is because of Sally Hemings' children. I don't know, Lynn. Don't make jokes about Sally Hemings, bro. It's so like tasteless. And and it's so it's like such a th- it's like such like a like thrown out line that like I think when I first heard it this is gonna make me sound like an idiot but I was I was like fourteen so don't You're be not mean stupid you were a baby I was a baby you were baby. I thought that Sally Hemings was probably just his I thought that Sally was probably like his wife you know it's the way history is framed to us right like so yeah I have heard the sentiment that like she was like his equal blah 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 and like you hear that all the fucking time of like the oh i don't know what the trope is and i'm not gonna try to say i know but like that slavery just wasn't that bad like in my history textbook in high school i remember slavery was a fucking footnote in my textbook there was a sentence slavery wasn't all that bad um sometimes the masters would like treat their slaves really well and it kind of just depended on the person and that it was disgusting and and like so it's the way anyway keep going i'm just mad (laughs) no i i mean like that's it like like the way it's thrown into the show is that um is that it's like just feels like kind of like a nod but like it isn't a nod and and this gets me into the stranger things problem have i spoken about the stranger things problem no on this show no yet? i don't think you have so you should i was i am so excited to to get into it the stranger things problem is kind of like a thought framework that i use to describe like a problem that is like i think prevalent in a lot of media but um stranger things exists in a little 80s universe that is kind of divorced from the politics of the 80s um, like, they, they don't really want you to think that hard about, like, what it meant to be a child in the 80s. They just kind of want to use the aesthetic of the 80s for their, like, monster shit. Um, <laughs> however, in Stranger Things, there are references to racism existing. 
Right. So they, like, have, like, racism towards, like, like the individual characters in the show, like, from, like, individuals. And they have, like, a Reagan poster in one of the shots. Mm-hmm. And and it creates a, a very strange problem, which is the idea that, like, racism exists in this universe, but it's not an institutional problem the way it is, like, the way it was in history. And... Um, we don't really need to, like, dig into it. We're just gonna, like, maybe apply it to some of the characters we think are bad or apply, like, not racist to some of the characters we think are good. And we're gonna kind of avoid the topic. I, like, have big issues with that because I think it creates, like, a larger issue of, like, individualizing systemic problems. Um, but the Hamilt- Hamilton suffers from the Stranger Things problem in the way they interact with slavery, which is that they acknowledge that slavery exists is present yeah they talk about the fact that it exists he says you plant seeds um, in the ground we create he's like that's and then thomas jefferson talking and it's like and then right after that hamilton's like who's really, who's doing, really doing, the doing the planting yeah um and then there's like john lawrence has a lot of lines that's like we'll never be free until we end slavery um and then there's a line at the end where Eliza says she speaks out against slavery, which I've heard isn't true, but I, like, I'm not versed enough to say for sure. I just think it's um, also, like, weirdly insidious that, like, Lynn, he, like, retroactively adds in that Hamilton was an abolitionist when he wasn't. He's like, Lawrence, I like you. Like, Lawrence is gonna go yeah. talk about slavery, and I support him. Like, you know, like, it's like that. Anyway, keep going. They acknowledge that slavery exists, but they're not willing to interact with it in a way that, like, is critical of, like, the framing of the show. Like, they will not talk about the fact that George Washington was a slave owner and a shitty slave owner. I saw a thing earlier about how slave- George Washington's dentures teeth, were made teeth, out of slaves' teeth. 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 Yeah, literally teeth. Teeth teeth um okay anyway um sorry sometimes i just think about teeth and i get possessed by the teeth monster the tooth Um, monster okay anyway (laughs) (laughs) this is inappropriate i know we really just like brought up it's fine we completely lost our like conscientiousness um they they like don't they're not willing to like interact with that at all something that i like in, in school they were like it's animal teeth he had walrus teeth and it's like yeah. no bitch he had human teeth but like hamilton can't touch the fact that slavery was a problem because that would like really fuck up the your our ability to empathize with these people yeah um and i think like the way he skirts it is using the framing device of having black actors play the slave owners um i think all of the slave owners are played by black actors. Uh, the the really Thomas Jefferson and George Washington strike me as the really prominently slave owner yeah. folks, and they are both played by by black actors in the original cast. Yeah. And I think traditionally, traditionally, yeah, um, I think so too. Yep. And I and I don't like that it's implied that Hamilton is an abolitionist when he bro hugs John Lawrence. Speaking of <laughs> Hamilton, bro hugging John Lawrence, the queer bait. Look. But, like, I don't want to see gay capitalists. No, yeah, like, <laughs> like I'm not going to, like, say that Hamilton is, like, my, my gay icon, He's not bro. a gay icon. Here's something that I kind of want to talk about. There's the really famous picture of, like, Thomas Jefferson wearing the, like, Miku um, binder. And, like, 
them saying he's a weeb. You've seen it before. I know I've seen and it, it. It would definitely give you like a visceral, like emotional reaction. <laughs> Guys, please. Oh, wait, you mean the drawing? Yeah. I just Googled Je- Thomas Jefferson weeb and it says weeaboo drug dealer Thomas Jefferson dash fan lore, April 18th, 2020. Yeah. T- uh, Thomas Jefferson this, was a transgender bisexual art education major who was a furry, obsessed with anime, a fan of K-pop and J-pop. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. I forgot so, about this. So something that like I think is interesting about like the, the fan reception of this show um, and kind of goes in with like my my like general thesis that I think this show is fictional and not historical and like that's kind of um and and nobody's really made a decision on that so it's like kind of complex um and i think like people make fun of that drawing a lot and it's very stupid um and it's because the show uh, wants you to empathize with all these characters and if you're a young girl in 2015 you're on tumblr and you're writing fan fiction yeah um, fan fiction and the show the show wants you to do this like there's there's a lot of like weird homoerotic blocking between like Hamilton and Lawrence which because there's like historical speculation on whether or not Hamilton had like a romantic relationship with Lawrence um I there's a really funny letter between Hamilton and Lawrence where Hamilton's like please don't marry your wife my nose is much longer than your wife's nose I don't know where I stand on this because, like, I think it's gross that, like, I, I, I like, look at that Thomas Jefferson I- image and do want to, like, vomit, actually. Yeah. Um, but I'm also, like, empathetic towards the fact that the show, because the show is a capitalist white dream, they wanted to capitalize off of having, like, a fandom um audience as, as opposed to just a fan base of, like, people who liked it. They also wanted to have an audience of people right. who were fan folk right and you um, also can't trust the audience to do what you want them to do right so like some people are gonna take it like you do where you're like okay this is not actual history um and some people are gonna take these historical figures and i cannot speak on behalf of the person that made that drawing but like there are people who are now like lionizing these figures whether they're trying to or not it like happens with like fan culture and it's t- quote unquote it's not thomas jefferson but it is thomas jefferson you yeah. know what i mean it's like fucking weird i also think um we were talking about aaron burr and um like you were you were saying earlier like i don't know what his arc is and i don't know what it's supposed yeah. to be telling me and when I was watching this with my dad, he, like, watched the first act and then, like, went to go do work. So he didn't see- Which is how one should consume <laughs> He was like, all right, I gotta go. And I was like, dad, you just, you okay, bye. And so he left and hurt, but he remembered Aaron Burr saying, talk less, smile more. And then when I got into, like, a heated debate about something later, my dad was like, hey, remember what that guy said in the musical? And I was like, talk less, smile more? And he was like, yeah and i was like no 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 no, dad you you didn't see the second act where like that whole thing is disproved um and you have like and there's also a lot of like allusions to or not even allusions but just like references to gun violence which i think are still very relevant right now so because like even when i was watching it i was like oh shit like that's really correct (laughs) like that's really relevant still but you have 
Aaron Burr saying things like, don't rock the boat. Like, you're lucky enough to be here. And talk less, smile more. Don't talk, you're going to get shot. Like, all of these things, like, it's like a centrist black man telling you not to rock the boat. And I don't love that sentiment. And I don't love that it's coming from a person of color, specifically a black person. And I also think that, like, and we were talking about the line, the world was wide enough for was, Hamilton. I was about to segue right into that. One of the ideas that's very like prevalent in this book is the idea that there's no such thing as being not racist. You're either anti-racist or you're racist. And like the act of silence is an act of racism because you're complicit in like a world of racism. And so the world was wide enough for Hamilton and me, which is like Burr's kind of great um button on his arc that's the like that's his last like word it's like a really bizarre like way of being like the the world is big enough for those who want to stay silent and those who want to like make change like what what does that mean like what am i supposed to get out of burr that people make mistakes but like when when did burr ever make the right choices and like what I, I I still think his arc like I, I like the comparison between um, him and a model the model minority myth. It's the Asian model minority myth of saying, I'm gonna be quiet and I'm gonna align myself with whoever's in power and I'm going to just sit there and say I'm lucky enough to be here and I will not rock the boat. And maybe that's like how my parents feel, but that and like they've changed a lot since uh everything that's been going on. But that, like, silence is compliance. That there's no, there's no way around that. Centrism is compliance. Like, I still think Burr's arc is incoherent, which is strange because Burr is the, like, framing point of view. Yeah, he tells us the story. Burr is the narrator. He's, like, the framing device. So I think, like, from a literary perspective, I could be like, ooh, framing the story from the point of view of the person who kills that person? That's interesting. But that doesn't makes sense because like then we have to get something out of Burr like Burr has to like teach us like we have to learn something about like what it means to be a person like like how to live your life from Burr and like I don't know what we're supposed to learn like are we supposed to learn that like the right thing was to talk a lot but that like fucked Hamilton's you're life you're right exactly and like Burr never really learns that lesson like the idea is that like Hamilton had a longer lasting legacy than Burr because he spoke out um, and, like, yeah. for me, at least, because of the model minority myth, I always felt that Aaron Burr's story was just, like, see how things go wrong, even if you stay silent. And, like, sometimes it's way more worth it. Actually, most of the time, it's way more worth it to, like, actually have specific stances on things and educate yourself and talk about them loudly um especially when you are in a position to do so and help other people and burr like could never just take a stance because he was afraid and like didn't want people to not like him but i think it's also weird when you have like lynn who wrote the musical putting himself in the position of the good person and then casting like a black actor as the person that's like sit down and be quiet it's also intriguing that like because I've never really thought about that, but, like, that the prevailing message about the show is is take a stance, have radical ideas, don't be complicit, don't be silent, don't just not have thoughts about things. 
when the show itself is such like a centrist masterpiece. I wanted to reference this uh, essay that Adeline sent to us. Um, it's called Being in My Room. Yes, Addie Lyon. Um, it's called Being in the Room Where It Happens, Hamilton, Obama, and Nationalist Neoliberal Multicultural Inclusion, which is such a sexy title. And basically, like, I just kind of highlighted one part I wanted to say, but like the musical upholds that nationalist neoliberal multicultural inclusion and it occupies yeah a centrist position that mobilizes performers of color and the myth of meritocracy in order to envision the united states as like a multiracial utopia where everyone has a fair chance to compete for access to the room where it happens um and this like dematerialized um, approach to social progress that emphasizes hard work and patriotism rather than like grappling with like uneven ground in which people actually stand on um is gross (laughs) um like it's icky and like the politics and like expressed in the in the discourse of the show and its casting demonstrate both both the terms and limits of inclusion to the room where it happens and then also like what it means to like cast actors of color in these roles and 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 we need to like deliberately keep engaging with these ideas and we need to keep thinking about like how we use people of color in staging and like how to do that without putting us in this like very precarious position that I think Hamilton does and this is just goes back to like the Obama of musicals like we need to move forward from Obama and we need to move forward from Hamilton. Like, I remember when Trump was elected, everyone's like, I miss Obama, I miss Obama. And it's like, yes, while we were all like bopping along to Hamilton and like being very happy, um, we need to acknowledge that like underneath all of that, there was like a very insidious group of people like trying to like grappling to regain power. And that is how like Trump got elected. So, like, as much as, like, we are like, I miss that time, that was not like that for everybody. There was something brewing under that, and we, and we didn't see it, and that's, that's on a lot of us for, like, not seeing it. Just, like, we have to be like, okay, cool, that was then. We have to acknowledge that, like, many of us were celebrating that time period, and, and, like, it was it's the same as Hamilton is like it was not as glorious as the musical makes it look that time where Obama was president was not as glorious as we like to make it look also like Obama has his place in history and has his positive influence on history and I think Hamilton has a positive influence on history but we're older now when we listened to Hamilton our our collective consciousness was 14 Mm -hmm. And now we're 20. <laughs> we're so, fucking old. So we're in, we're, we're, we're in university. We're, we're growing and expanding as a national consciousness. Yeah, I felt like the world, when Hamilton was, was around, like, and, and gaining, and, like, became prominent, it was like a, like, someone had thrown a paper airplane and it was just gliding along, and it felt like it was just going to keep moving forward. It was going to maybe go up a little, but it was it was just going to glide along. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, like, so so like the the messaging behind Hamilton like felt like appropriate, like it felt like a continual like steady walk towards 
um, progress. Something. But yeah. now it's like the paper airplane of our world took like an abrupt nosedive. It nosedived into a shredder. And now we're trying to pull, like pull the paper out of the shredder. We're like taping together the paper. <laughs> we're like, while I'm pulling it out of the shredder, someone on the side of you is trying to tape it together as we're you're like, pulling it We're out. looking at the p- shredder like, is this worth salvaging? Like, do we need to make a new paper airplane? Like, do we need to make- Is it even ethical to- continue having paper airplanes like shouldn't we like be using paper that's made from like elephant poop or like something? sustainable like is the airplane like the format for us like do we do we need to start looking at new like means of transportation like new new like ways of flying towards the world we want to have i mean <laughs> and i think my favorite my favorite line in hamilton the line that i think hits and i think is a good message to take away not just like as like a person but like i think if you apply it to hamilton it's useful is the america you great unfinished symphony which is Mm -hmm. this idea that like we're not there yet we're not smart enough yet we're not good enough yet we're making our world better and like hamilton was not the end of our discourse on like racism and like obviously like hamilton is in a way, also the unfinished symphony of, like, our collective consciousness. Like, we were not, we were not done yet. Yeah, like, you were, you were saying, like, Dear Theodosia is, like, the thesis of, like, what kind of world do you want to make for your children? And, like, what, like, yes, leaving a legacy, which sometimes can get a little, like, selfish sounding, but, but really it's, like, leaving a legacy and, like, leaving a world that is better than you left it. I think, yes. I think that's bitch how. I think that's bitch how. That was a lot. That was so we much. Really, um, we hit a lot. Okay, now it's bitch time. Okay, bitch time is our three minutes of unfiltered, unintelligible, unintel- <laughs> unintellectual. No smart uh, here. Ra- no smart, smooth brain hours, baby. Wait, I'm going to say this out, this line before we go. <laughs> if our brain is a raisin, which is wrinkly, then the bitch time is when we rehydrate the raisin. So that it becomes grape. a grape. It is grape time. It's grape okay. time. All right. That's three minutes. Okay, Mulligan is a flower girl, and I feel like I was robbed of cute things in the staging by not having enough money to go see it. Yeah, um, I, the, the, the king being stupid jokes really hit different now <gasps> that DJT is really, like, the king of our world. Stop, ew, why would you say that? Ugh. It um, hit different, it wasn't funny anymore, I was, like, not laughing. <laughs> no, it was, uh, gross. Lynn, you really picked, like, the wrong time to release this. Um, like, you king, you, like... Like, we are ready to deconstruct the ways in which, like, systemic racism has ruined all of our lives. Like, and you, now you've decided to give us all Hamilton? Like, insane. Uh, I don't know what the lip-biting meme is, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. Oh, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. What? And there's so many more pictures than just that one picture. Like, stop, what, what, he, like, thi- he, oh, he, like, thinks he's so hot. <laughs> Kaya? I'm, like, afraid to broach the topic that you think Bill Hader is hot, but I feel it necessary. No, you, what was the thing that you said? You were, like, it's like how everyone thinks Bill Hader is hot. Yeah. People think Lin-Manuel Miranda is hot in the same way people think Bill Hader is hot. 
That's not true. Bill Hader's actually hot. See, this is intriguing to me. You need to watch Barry. And then I'm ready know to watch I'm Barry. Barry seems about. sexy. He is sexy in Barry. Um, um I like Anthony, <laughs> what's his name? Anthony Ramos? I Ramos? like him. Ramos. I like his, I like him. I like his little hair. He's lovely. I like you know his... what? It's the thing is, like, this show made me get to see more of David Diggs. Yeah. Um, what a sexy boy. F- I am in love with him. Truly um, in love with the him. The one ensemble member with the hair? <gasps> She, she can, can rail me. Rail me. She Ugh. can do whatever she wants. Whatever she to me. wants. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. 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 Yes. Um. The the costuming really like speaks to the non-binary person who I am. The costuming is so lovely. I, would I really like, love it. So many times, like, do I feel weird getting costumed because I'm like, ah, gender. You're like, are they gonna? Yeah. Are they gonna? Are they gonna? I feel like if I got into that costume, I would just feel like beautiful true Happy. yeah t i feel so bad for peggy yeah i do i feel fucking they bad don't for even peggy. tell us what happened and then she and then she and then that actress has to go and then play and like Mariah a homewrecker Reynolds. jesus christ she's a good singer, like that's though. so much she's it's also oh, like part fantastic. of the, the wreck that is act two because like he doesn't say what happened to peggy what's going yeah. on she just like is there and then she disappears there's also like some weird like sexist messaging in the way he talks about having sex with people sorry that was dangerously close to an intelligent thought i mean i also did talk about like systemic racism yeah there was like there was a couple dangerously intelligent thoughts in that bitch time i know sometimes we can't get full grape no the it's hard to go full grape All right. <laughs> I can't tell if we're actually funny or if we have like exhaustion induced psychosis yeah. from like working so hard on this podcast. So that we just imagine ourselves to be funny. We're like, that's probably yeah. funny. I think it's funny. Yeah. Great. Work. Grape. Grape. Grape is funny. Grape. Grape. Laugh Please at us. We're funny. Laugh at us. Please. Laugh at us and Please rate us on iTunes. <laughs> Please rate us on iTunes. <laughs> okay. Holy shit. Impact. <gasps> it's time for bitch why. Why yeah. did you make that? Lynn Manuel Miranda, respond to my tweets. Why did you make this? Lynn Manuel Miranda is Hamilton an autobiography. Please tell us, did you cheat on your wife? <laughs> did you cheat did on you your cheat wife? Did you cheat on your wife? Did and you, you wrote because... this to express that? Yeah, is this your Reynolds pamphlet? Oh my god. Lynn, you can tell us. We won't tell anyone. We won't tell anybody except for, like, the five listeners of our podcast. No, we won't even tell them. What? Okay. We can tell them in, like, a very secret way, like, every first One of our Patreon tiers is whether or not Lin-Manuel Miranda (laughs) had an affair. (laughs) (laughs) No one who bites their lip like that hasn't had an affair. Hasn't had an affair. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us what bitch why is. It's the time to talk about bitch why did you make that. It's the impact. We talked to the smartest person in the world last night. Camellia! So we talked to our friend from PR who has spoken to us about Hamilton and and we were like, wow, this is the smartest person I've ever met in my life. She gave us the lowdown on Lynn. 
she sent us a Twitter thread that kind of explains all this, which I will not read verbatim. She told us from like a more personal perspective, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna give us the like factual like here's blah blah blah. Lynn, okay, it's from a Twitter thread which we'll link in the show notes. It's called Why Puerto Ricans Don't Claim Lynn Manuel Miranda and Why You Shouldn't Support Him. A threat. Um Lynn supported the Obama Promesa bill, which was a bill that after Puerto Rica Puerto Ricans had an economic recession that started in 2006. Puerto Rico fell into a debt the size of like 74 billion in bonds and 49 billion billion dollars in pension obligations. Um and this bill created, I think she called it La Junta, but um, it's called something different on this thread. Uh, but it was made up of elect- unelected officials who, whose job it was to reduce the debt by any means necessary. By any means necessary. Is a scary thing, and you should never use that phrase. Unless you're talking um, about disarming the cops. Exactly. Mm, Aha. ACAP. Um, yeah, so Lynn lobbied for this, and it led to budget cuts on essential public services like health infrastructure, natural reserves. I think it's, um, important, like, to give our, like, listeners, like, a little lowdown on, like, Puerto Ricans, like, Puerto Ricans kind of statehood versus independence argument. So, Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States right now, correct? Right. And- um there's kind of like two camps in puerto rico there might be more um we're not like experts on this um but which is the idea puerto rico could become a state and um have like state rights or puerto rico could become an independent um nation and this is like a huge important debate in pr right now and like always in pr and um i don't think we hear a lot about it in the u.s because um, i do not because i don't think like it's advantageous to our government for us to think too hard about like having territories (laughs) that aren't that are like governed by u.s law but like aren't allowed to vote i think it really fucks up our our whole like image as a democracy and so the the significant thing about lin-manuel um backing the promesa bill was that lin has not really made a strong statement about independence versus statehood, but his right. backing of the Promesa bill implies an allegiance towards statehood, which is a pretty centrist stance. Yeah, it's centrist. And I think Camelli was talking about like, there's definitely been a shift towards people who don't want statehood and instead want independence and it's also significant because um lynn is diasporic puerto rican he's not from pr his parents are from pr um and he he doesn't like live there that i think that's a significant part of all this yeah and i think like being a kid of the diaspora as i am um of india not pr but like you you like want what's best for the place you're from and sometimes because you never lived there like you don't know what that is and i understand like i sympathize with lynn on wanting what's best for pr but he like i also like we both don't know what that is i currently like don't support prime minister modi of india because he's terrible but if i ever had a platform where i could speak out against him and like 
make change. I would make sure that I was educated to like the highest extent possible on the issues going on in India because I like barely understand American politics. So um, I need to be able to defend my positions on the state of the Indian government and make sure my beliefs align with pe- with helping people and not supporting corrupt politics. And I just think that like Lynn hasn't done that work. Yeah. He's all like Puerto Rican pride, baby. But he like doesn't know what that means. His his further interaction with PR in relation specifically to Hamilton is like so emblematic of the fact that he doesn't like he has a like simplistic relationship to PR and like what he wants for PR. Like when right. he brought Hamilton to the University of Puerto Rico. Um he, or he tried he to. He tried to. He remodeled their right. theater, and he was going to premiere Hamilton at the university, uh, which would have been kind of shitty for the students because it would have, like, displaced their education. Wait, did, did he actually remodel the theater? He did actually remodel the theater. But then, like, the, the most significant thing that happened was... Non-teaching unions were planning to go on strike, and they let him know in a letter that they were not going to stop the strike simply because he was doing Hamilton. And he then backed out of having it, having Hamilton at the university. And he like also like equated the protesters with like violence, which is problematic. First of all, like on an influence level, he supported this bill that hurt a lot of people on his island. And then when he tried to, to intervene with his own show, it was like two months after Hurricane Maria. And he also like he said something along the lines of like, we survived the hurricane. And it's like, sir, no, you didn't. Like you were sitting pretty in Manhattan and you did not survive the hurricane. Like I understand being a diaspora kid and like wanting to do what's best and know and feel the struggles of your country. Like you want to understand. So I get it but i also am like you have so much money and power and influence like please do better yeah also university of pr is the only university on the island so that would have displaced a ton of students um and also like lynn is trying to have this conversation that people on the island like don't want to have anymore which is that tourism as recovery or tourism at all as like the main financial way to help pr like that's outdated and and a lot of people in PR like we can't like you guys like they can't do that anymore because if you go five miles outside of like where the tourists go like it's not livable and people from the island are are facing financial strife in a way that like you and I could never understand his idea of what's helpful is no longer relevant to the conversation that needs to be had about PR and he has never once said about his uh, his own imperialist play um which glorifies founding fathers under the guise of representation he has never once said like oh this actually is about or could be about how the u.s treats pr now and like with the amount of influence he has even just saying that without any action behind it would have been more than what he's done already And Lin's relationship to tourism is significant, particularly because when he brought Hamilton to PR, he really marketed it as like a tourism campaign. Like um, there Mm -hmm. were there were packages for tourists to come in and do like the Hamilton tour. Camellia um, talked about how when she went and saw it, 
um, most of the people surrounding her were Americans and like white con- Congress people. Um, <gasps> she said she was like pushed out of the way when she was like going into the theater. She was like pushed out of the way so that like American senators could get to their seats. And is that not like so emblematic of like the whole, yeah. the Lin Manuel's whole relationship with PR and like the things he wants to do for PR, which is this idea of like pushing away Puerto Rican perspectives. And, like, in order to, like, bring in an American perspective. Camelia talked about how when she saw Hamilton, the first thing she thought about was how this relates to Puerto Rican independence. Like, the line, why should a island across the sea regulate the price of tea feels, like, relevant when you live in a territory of the United States. Um, And, once again, subject to U.S. law, but not able to, like, really influence U.S. law. First of all, I I never thought about that. Like, I, I would never have thought about that if she hadn't brought it up because the it's advantageous for the U.S. to not have its citizens be thinking about PR. And just, like, in general, Lynn's whole perspective is this kind of American exceptionalist, like, Western-centric, like, we can reach the ability, we can, like, get to America as, like, with America as the ideal. And that's, like, not, Mm. that's not true. Like, PR is an entity that is exceptional outside of the existence of the United States, outside of the cultural standards of the United States. And to, like, kind of, um, to bring Hamilton to PR um, and be like, look, look what I did, look what you could do, implies such a perspective of, of America is better than you. I also think that this relates to that immigrants, we get the job done statement. It relates to bootstrap mentality. It also relates to something Camellia also talked about, uh, which was, yes, Hamilton inspired a lot of people on the island and like everywhere to like, be be into musical theater and like want to pursue it but she was like they left pr to do that like they didn't stay in pr to do that like it was it and in that way like impact wise hamilton did the thing america wanted it to do which is like promote america as like this amazing melting pot or whatever it's like taking assets from their original homes and bringing them to america so that we can all like succeed as like one big melting pot which i think is like a gross it's just gross but it like it did that hamilton has a problem with american exceptionalism and that's that's not very sexy of it and i don't think like i think it's very easy for like us to like get caught up in like hamilton's impact like inside inside the u.s because the u.s like has so like been hit by hamilton like it's been Mm -hmm. such a sensation but hamilton is like going worldwide and like hamilton has a huge connection to pr because of lynn and the way he's like brought it to pr and the way he's like imposed the connection upon pr while simultaneously ignoring the connection um but like Mm. hamilton's going to germany there's going to be german language hamilton hamilton's going to australia which australia has such an imperialist history um mm-hmm. Hamilton as like an imperialist symbol is kind of kind of funky. 
I also literally, like, before we recorded, I got an email from T. Rico, which is his, like, t-shirt company, and I didn't know it was actually in PR. Camellia told me that yesterday, and oh my god, it's, like, so performative, and it's, like, here, I'm selling you t-shirts with Hamilton quotes on them. And, like, his social media presence is so, like, him performing authenticity, like, it's always, like, Hey, like when he was releasing the mixtape, he was like, oh, we made this for you. Like, I'm so excited for you to like be with this. And it's it's like, but when you released Hamilton to the public, it still was behind a price barrier. And it's like, do you actually want people to see it or or only the people who can pay to see it? And I feel like if he actually cared about whether or not like young people of color got to see his work he would have released it on like pbs he would have released it so that it was fucking free um that he has always been like anti-bootleg and anti-accessibility even though he as a person of color we i think we automatically assume and hope that he is for us but sometimes he is not and most of the time he is not um and it just makes me sad and, like, the fact that there, there's a lot of, like, implicated messaging in Hamilton that kind of, like, leads the mind towards modern politics. But he's not really willing to, like, align himself with any of those um, movements that he alludes towards, like, explicitly. Lynn has the, like, money and influence to do so much. Like, and, and he's, he's not really, like, emotionally prepared to make that call. I think Hamilton is... Like, ultimately, Hamilton isn't really about anything, um, like, really deep. I think it's just about Lynn. Yeah, I mean, like, he, Lynn is, like, representative just enough of PR that he can, like, get the clout for being Puerto Rican. And then he's also just representative enough of America so that Americans can accept him and digest his work. And he made something in the name of America, not Puerto Rico. And he still gets to be Puerto Rican and perform pride, but not deal with any of the effects of actually like being colonized or help the people who are. And and he would only he only takes positions that are safe enough that feel woke and like they're helping someone. But he like makes sure that it doesn't hurt him financially, even though like if he stopped working tomorrow, like he would be fine. And he could have, like, just made this thing free and, like, spoken out against uh, the way we treat PR as a country. But he hasn't. And so what's what that tells me is, like, what's more important to him is money and, like, not actually doing things that can help his people. It's like Hamilton is, like, the gay marriage commercial of Puerto Rico in that... <laughs> In that before gay marriage was legal, like, you couldn't have gay people in ads. It was, like, inappropriate. Um, and the JCPenney's moms would, like, cry. But now that gay marriage is legal, <laughs> you're allowed to, like, have gay people. And, like, like I always joke that um, Pride Month is corporate rainbow month because now that gay marriage is allowed, like, people are allowed to support gay people and put rainbows all over things and, like, capture our powerful uh, marketing demographic. In, in the same way, Hamilton, like, like has captured the, like, market of, like, people of color by, like, be filled with people of color. And has also captured the market of the, like, conservative who just likes looking at the founding fathers. Like, 
like famously like mike pence went and saw hamilton Ugh. like remember when mike pence saw yeah hamilton? that was a big that was a big deal I wonder if there's a room in this conversation for, like, the way in which the the right has co-opted patriotism and, like, imagery of the flag and how they label us as, like, unpatriotic, unpatriotic, even though is it not the most patriotic thing to want your country to be better? Yeah. But they, yeah, but they specifically, like, have taken those and i and i wonder if hamilton not because of lynn i think it's like because of the fans i wonder if hamilton was like a way in which the left could like reclaim some semblance of what american patriotism looks like and like put ourselves into it like insert ourselves in the history even though like you said history is not a fictional story we can project ourselves onto this was a way of like taking it back a little god like with hamilton going global like i would not be surprised tomorrow if lynn tweeted that disneyland was doing like a hamilton attraction you know what i mean like it's gotten so gross like if they made that hall of presidents in disney world hamilton themed oh my I would god not, nothing which i would be they like they would okay. i feel like the real impact of hamilton is like how like is like kind of like the like worldwide like shrine to Lin Manuel Miranda's genius. <laughs> no, he's so he is so obsessed with himself. I'm sorry, I'm gonna be mean to Lin for like a <gasps> hot second. He's it's just like the Chicago Museum, the packages in PR like that they were selling, the fucking Hamilton merch store. There's a merch store in Manhattan, and like there is no other Broadway show. That has its own merch store. It's like, buy it online or get out. In Times Square, like, the true capitalist orgy. Like... Disgusting. Okay, I don't know I don't know if this is, like... Like, is it possible to be mean to Lynn? Like, I feel like I'm, like, a... I feel like I'm, like, a bossy bottom. Like, uh, impression. We can't impress him, language. actually. Like, there's no way he has so much I don't money. have the power to oppress him. Anyway, <laughs> Lynn has a mirror on his ceiling so he can watch himself while he jerks off. Oh, my and God. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> that's worse than anything I said. So, I feel better. If we, I'm allowed to oppress Lynn. If we get, if we get canceled, at least we get canceled together. We really picked for the first episodes, like, the most uh, divisive things. Yeah. I um, mean, here's the thing, like, Hamilton, like, Hamilton is the Obama of musicals. Lin-Manuel Miranda is the Obama of playwrights, which is to say <laughs> that he's done some good work. He has an important place in, like, the theatrical canon, but, like, we are past this like we're we're we our discourse is better like like we got into hamilton when when we as a collective consciousness were 14 and now we're not 14 anymore we're grown-ups and we're getting we're getting smarter and we're examining our our like universe and our consciousness and and so we can like bid hamilton a loving goodbye like part Mm. of part of loving hamilton is hating hamilton and part of loving art is hating art and like being able to like build a new perspective of art 
we're learning how to have a nuanced relationship with the media because that's I mean, so like, sexy of us i would say hamilton probably did more net good than harry potter in the sense since we've been talking about harry potter and like yeah, what harry potter the has done to our world like like if we didn't have hamilton we wouldn't have um super wonderful diverse shows like great comet or or hades, hades town, town. hades town wouldn't have gotten to broadway without hamilton but daniel radcliffe wouldn't have gotten to broadway without harry potter fuck (laughs) if we if daniel radcliffe never made it to broadway i would have never seen his little tiny body in that kick line full of normal sized people wait do you know about equus i've read no he's an equus and, like, there was this TikTok. Daniel Radcliffe was in Equus? Yes, it was, like, a big thing because I think it was, like, right after Harry Potter and everyone's, like, he's naked. And, like, someone on TikTok was, like, he, this person, like, unlocked a, a repressed memory of mine. But it was, like, if you didn't Google Daniel Radcliffe Equus a billion times when you were young, are you really a gay now? I Do guess- I need to Google Daniel Radcliffe and Equus? You need to Daniel- do, do it right. I will Daniel do it with Radcliffe. you. Equus. Oh my god, he's with a horse. He's yeah, he's naked with a horse. He's he's naked and there's a horse. Oh, there's like a weird picture of like his naked body fusing with the horse. <gasps> what? What? I hate that. It's like kind of disturbing. I like I like the like strategically placed like copyright symbolism so you like don't see his little Have you Daniel to Radcliffe, kick- but I want to find his penis. <laughs> I already found it. It says mature content, Daniel Radcliffe, Broadway star, Equus, male nude, Etsy. Oh my god, it's like an Etsy poster. <laughs> you can get an Etsy poster with Daniel Radcliffe's penis? Yeah. <laughs> ah! <laughs> that has to not be it at full volume, yeah? Like, that's... I don't love that. That's That's not it. I don't love that. I don't like that I've seen that now. I don't... It really messes with my, my like, internal construction of Daniel as, like, a non-threatening man. Not that penises are non-threatening. No, there's nothing, yeah. like, th- like inherently... I just, like, I like Daniel Rad... I like that Daniel Radcliffe is 5'5 five five and skinny and I could beat him up. <laughs> <laughs> if he... If Daniel Radcliffe ever attacked me, I would be able to fend him off. Because he's so little. But it's not that he's, like, not allowed to... I mean, like, he can... He can He be, can have a penis. He can have a penis. He can be naked. Like, it's fine. We'll allow it. Well, like, Guy and it's I have fine. decided that Daniel Radcliffe is allowed to be Daniel naked. Daniel Radcliffe's allowed to be naked. Um, We've decided. Lynn is not. <laughs> Lynn manuel Miranda is not allowed to be naked. Ever. For any reason. Um, Put your clothes back on, Lynn manuel Miranda. Stop biting your lip. Um, we were talking about the music in In the Heights and how it doesn't have, like, the same distancing effect as Hamilton. Like, Hamilton allows people to watch it from afar and, like, not feel like they're complicit in the ways in which this country has oppressed people of color, and specifically black people. Um, In the Heights, which is, which we talked about how he, like, doesn't champion In the Heights the same way he champions Hamilton, understandably because Hamilton got so big. But I think the reason why both these stories about immigrants, one definitely did better than the other because one of them is performative and one of them is actually like real specifically in the heights is about the immigrant experience and their struggles 
and white people can't relate to it unless it somehow talks about whiteness, which is what Hamilton does. Um, and there's never a point in Hamilton where you're like dancing along or singing along and then are being told you're complicit. And then Camellia brought up the uh, David Byrne musical American Utopia, which is amazing, and you should listen to the cast recording. Um, but David Byrne was in The Talking Heads, which, like, you can't get wider than The Talking Heads. No shade on you, Camellia. You have great music taste. Um, I support David Byrne. I support David Byrne. Dude. He is a good white man. We stan him. Um, but in a- David, Bur- David Byrne's allowed to be naked. David Byrne? Occasionally. Oh, no. <laughs> From time to time. This not in our presence. Not in our presence. And, like- Maybe not on a Broadway stage anyway. Well, I would allow it under certain circumstances. Okay. We'd have to discuss it with him. Yes, we'd have to go over the rules. Um, David Byrne has a lot of people of color and queer people in, in his cast of American Utopia. He's, his lead guitarist is a black woman. The lead percussionist is from Brazil. Um, and it goes from... The whole story is about, like... How do we get to Utopia? Like, it takes place in Utopia, which I feel like Hamilton wishes it took place in Utopia because then it would make more sense. Um, But he goes from, like, Talking Heads songs to this one Janelle Monet song, which has... It, it explicitly states a lot of the names of Black people who were killed at the hands of police and tells the audience, like, say... Like, it's like Sandra Bland, say her name. And it's... It's, I just think it's amazing. It it kind of just goes, hey, white people, like, this isn't your story anymore. And it acknowledges that to get to Utopia, you need to reckon with what came before. And I think currently in our world, like, we're in a position where people can't understand why, like, we want to take down monuments, like, Confederate statues, like, because they won't even acknowledge actual history. Um, we can't, like, if we can't acknowledge what came before, there's no way we can get to Utopia. Like, we cannot strive right now, it feels like, and we, we, we came from a place when we listened to Hamilton when we were younger, and it felt like we were moving towards something, and, like, the world was changing and, like, getting better. But at the current moment, I think, I can't, I can't feel like we are striving towards a utopia where a black man can play George Washington and we can separate him from the actual George Washington who was a slave owner. And like, because that's still George Washington, like it's still a white man's story, even though it's like people of color on a stage dancing for the white man. Camellia told us that Lynn tweeted the other day. Oh no, I forgot P- about like, this. Yeah, he was like, wait till you get a taste of one of PR's founding fathers. Hashtag new musical. And he talked about the story of Luis Munoz Marin. I think that's how you say it. And his motto was something along the lines of, like, put your shoes on and get to work if you want PR to get better. Um, And people, because of him, like, stopped relying on this issue of, of being a state. And they actually did, for a time, accelerate the economy and the state status was not like a discussion anymore for a bit but in the long term it has not helped pr they are in a ton of debt 70 years later they can no longer put their boots on and get to work um they've run out of resources there's also a weird aaron burr parallel like there's a person who's kind of like louise's aaron burr and i just am like i don't need you to retell the story stop recontextualizing it with pr like just tell us that 
Hamilton's about PR and like make some actual change. You don't need to write Hamilton again. Right. Lynn. And Please it's like don't. what are you like what are you going to do? I don't know. He already is like app- appropriated black culture and created his own version of rap that is less explicit and less black so that white Americans could have it. And I feel like that also helped him in like getting to write the music for Moana. Um, he's not indigenous to Hawaii in any way. When a white person appoints you to work with other people of color simply because you are both people of color, I don't vibe with that. White Americans perceive brown is brown is brown is brown is brown, which is the idea that like if you're if you're Puerto Rican, then you know enough about being not white to write about the indigenous Hawaiian experience. Or if you're Puerto Rican, you know enough about being not white to write about the black experience. And right. that's like not true. Like they're not the same thing. It's just, it's just lies to make exactly. to make us like feel better about the fact that we got one non-white writer. Like we got this one big non-white writer, and he's like the guy who writes theater. I mean, and exactly. that's obviously not true. Like there are tons of incredible non-white writers. Like none have quite in in theater, and none have quite hit the American mainstream the way Lynn has hit the American mainstream. Right. And I also think that, like, if he tries to write this PR musical, he's going to run into a lot of the same things I run into trying to write about India as a kid of the diaspora. And I hope that if he tries, he gets a lot of pushback and a lot of people who are trying to educate him about this history that I think that he has not done the work to educate himself on. I mean, it'd be really sexy if he, like, ended up really like collaborating with like people from Puerto Rico and like like I like am for Lin-Manuel Miranda growing as a person right that I said that did I say that did it sound like I hate him there was a second where it sounded like we hated him because we've been being mean to Lin for so long that it seems like we're mean (laughs) to him because we hate him but I'm always for personal growth oh no of course the mirror off your ceiling Lin take the mirror off your ceiling And the thing is, though, you have to face people telling you that you're wrong. Um, And you have to be okay with being wrong. It's okay to be wrong, folks. This just in. This just in. (laughs) It's okay to make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Everyone has has those those days. days. And on that, let's get to the bitch meter, shall we? Bitch meter is our meter that measures diversity in six categories. Queerness, gender, race, disability, body positivity, and class. It gives you a score out of 10 using math that we learned how to do for you. Bitch meter, bitch, bitch meter. Gaia. Thank you. That was great. I came up with it just now. Is that our? Is that our new? Is that our new theme song? (laughs) I couldn't recreate it. No. Oh my god, that was lovely. All right, what did we give it for queer? Uh, we gave it a not applicable, but we took away a point for bait. Bait. There's too much bait. We already talked about it. Um, which was they shouldn't have even. Why did they put it in? Just don't bait. Just don't even put gay people. Like gay people don't need this. Yeah, we didn't want this. We didn't ask for this. We didn't want this. Gay people didn't ask for this. What did it get for gender? We gave it a 2.5 because the women have cool arcs, except for the one caveat that they're all obsessed with 
uh, Lynn, which is, like, icky. But they all have cool stories, I think. We talked about, like, Pippa Sue and how she could rail us. And then also... Pippa Sue can rail us at any moment. rail me. Um, But then also, like, she's got a great arc and Burn is a great song for, for getting to see her side of the story and dealing with her own grief. And she's perfect. And she gets a great... She's... Ugh. Also, her performance is fantastic. Anyway, gender 2.5. For race, we gave it a five. It is packed full of people of color. The cast is almost entirely people of color. Yeah, this is the meter is for representation. So, of course, it gets a five because it's it represents for disability. We gave it an N.A. It doesn't really deal with it at all. Except for the inherent ableism of being on Broadway. Exactly. For body positivity, we gave it an NA minus one because everyone in it is slim. For a dollar, cast a not slim person. Cast put fat people on Broadway, like literally just do it. Literally just do it. I also, I also like I dare you. (laughs) I dare you. I triple dog dare you to put a fat person on Broadway. Exactly. Do it. Now they have to do it. Uh, and then for class. We gave it an NA minus one because class in this musical is confusing. They like invented class in this musical. Like, like Monsieur Alexander was going around inventing the National Bank. We rooted for him to invent privatized power structures. We really did. Uh, okay. And then that gives us a drum, ro- drum roll, please. I was already drumming. Great. Four point. Five out of ten. Uh, because it doesn't touch a lot of stuff, even though I think the main point of this musical is to represent people racially, but not any really way else. So that's why. It wanted to touch race and it didn't really want to touch anything else. And to be honest, Hamilton not being able to touch the things that it didn't want to touch is like the problem with Hamilton. So. T. And that's. What are you working on right now, Nipa? (sighs) Uh, This podcast. Yeah. I'm taking online acting classes, which is like a trip. And I have been working with some like activist groups in my county. And then also I just got on the board of this group that I found. It's called the College Association for Artists of Color. And we're working to create like not just an alumni network, on one college campus, it's like, what does an alumni network look like nationally? So we were working towards that. And then I think like something that I'm going to do for them is like social media and educational outreach. And one thing that we really want to work on is kind of like a crash course video series, but for understanding race in America. I think that's like the thing. I always forget I do things and then remember I do them and your brain is huge sometimes it's big a large raisin and sometimes it is a small grape Gaia what are you working on I'm flying to Maine today um and that feels kind of like a project and I'm really excited to get some writing done on the plane today yes I'm thrilled for that moment um it's time for Harris's hot take Harris Harris. Harris Benjamin, we need your hot take on Hamilton. Right now? Yes. Yeah. How much time do I have? 30 seconds. 10 seconds. 10 seconds. seconds. Tell me when it starts. Uh, go. In the Heights is better. 
but I mean Hamilton vibes sometimes. It's okay. It has some chance. I like Aunt Peggy. That's exciting and fun. At least I got people into musical theater. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Shut up. Thanks, Harris. I love, love you. you. Bye. Bye. Lukewarm. Harris, be spicier next time. Yeah, ha- Harris, this was a lukewarm take and I'm disappointed. Harris, we hired you for your hot takes and you gave us a lukewarm take. Yeah, this is what this is what we don't pay you for, Harris. Um, if you've ever wanted to know what Nita and I are doing in our real lives, in the off chance that you don't already know us personally, <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at Gaia Rose River. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Nita Pathani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. <laughs> uh, you can follow Bitch Why Podcast on Twitter or Instagram at Bitch Why Podcast. And you can email us at b.tchy at gmail.com please leave a review and rate us on itunes we figured out how to get this podcast on itunes we're still trying to figure out how to get it on google podcasts if If you you know how to get onto google podcasts please tell us please help us all of the resources referenced will be in the show notes thank you to our editor and co-producer cameron and our graphic designer jillian who's amazing all right bye bitches goodbye bitches